Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Roger Anthony Black, MBE, born the 31st of March 1966 in Gosport, Hampshire. Um, I've, got, I've written here, what kind of childhood did you have? Um, different, I think, from many of the footballers and athletes who come in here and tell us about their grinding working-class poverty. I think mm. your, your your dad was a doctor and I think yeah, you yeah. had a nice a nice upbringing by, very, by, 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 by traditional standards. Yeah. yeah, very much so. Lived lived uh, you know by by the sea. Yeah, my, my dad was 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 the local GP. Two brothers, a twin sister, you know, just got on with it. Don't remember, you know, nothing traumatic that I was aware of. Um, I always say I was aware of because I think you sort of look back of and course, think, did I miss yeah. something? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, just got on with it. Um, I should make the point as well. Sorry, I jump yeah. in. Your brother Nigel, in yeah. my world with my musical background, yeah. is a tremendously mm. successful person as well. And, and well, N- Nigel is one, one of the most famous and uh, sought-after French horn yeah. players in the world, isn't he? Yeah, and he's the, he's the professor of bar, bra, brass at the... You know, Royal College of Music, principal of the Philharmonia, and, and Joni Mitchell, David Gray, <laughs> yeah. spiritualized, yeah, as well as all that classical yeah. stuff. He does um, everything. Well, we're we're more of a musical family than a sporting family. Right. I, mean, I grew up in a musical family. I grew up with my mother, you know, grade eight piano. Not my my dad, but he played a bit of piano. But you know, I grew up with classical music playing in my ears every minute of every day as a kid. Um, but uh, we could all play music. I, you know, we we're all all of us you know, can, can play. And you know, I was a chorister, and now you know, play guitar and all that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, Nigel obviously was exceptional, and um, you know went on, found his passion in the French horn. Tell us about um, your twin, twin sister Julia, who you know we were we grew up together. You know, I mean, I have twin boys now, and I've and got twin brothers. Have you? Yeah. And it's very odd as a parent of twins where you look at them, and they spend every minute of every day together. Which I did with Julia. Uh, but they're you know, it's slightly different when you're in a boy and a yeah, girl. Yeah, I was going to say, um, yeah, the but, boy girl. Yeah, I mean, that st- are you still very close older. with her? Yeah, we're still we're still close, but it is different. And I, and I think okay, the, the the big 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 sort of difference was at, at eleven we went to two different schools. Yeah, and I think that changed everything. Whether that was right or wrong is up up for debate. Was it horrible but, for you? Um, no, I mean, I, I didn't you really... Wouldn't, you wouldn't, separate, I wasn't you wouldn't big, separate twins of the same gender, would you? I, I wouldn't separate schooling. my kids now. No, um, but it, it's interesting. I. I, I my, my 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 siblings sort of described me as a sort of an inner slug as a kid, and and I think I'm realising now that I probably that is very, probably very was nice. well because I didn't really think much, just got on with it. So the fact that you know, I wasn't that worried that my sister went to another school, I didn't really go to that depth of. Just, I just got on with it. I just did what was put ahead of me, which is probably why I became a good athlete. Tell us about your schools. Went to the well. Went to the local. Actually, actually, I remember when we were younger. Our parents put them to the sort of local private. Put us to the local private school, which we hated and how cried. Old, how old was this? This was about. Must have been about five. Okay, so you're very young. And then we we cried so much they took us out and put us to the local infant school, which we loved, and then the local junior school, which I adored. 
because all I remember was just playing football every day. I don't remember learning anything. And then at 11, went past the exam to go to Portsmouth Grammar School. And I don't know how I passed the exam. I think they must have known I was quite a fast runner because mm-hmm. I couldn't even, I mean, I didn't know what I was doing, but I got into Portsmouth Grammar School. And, and looking back now, that's when my life changed. Um, an all-boys school, uniform, very formal. I just got on with it. I struggled, but I got on with it. And sport really was my thing. I, because of sport, I, I was I was okay. You say sport, Roger, but it, it, I mean, all of us listening to your voice now just can just see you in that in that white and blue and red vest, running very very quickly, very long legged, very um, athletic. But you you weren't into athletic just athletic at themselves all. at all. Well, at well there are there are a few reasons for that. I mean, I, I love teams, but I was always happy. Football was my passion. I loved football. I was devastated that the grammar school was not a football school. Rugby, rugby I take school. It, yeah. But then I, t- I t- well, I mean, Southampton they're, they're, fan. Southampton fan. We well, used- well, lived in lived in Gosport, which is nearer Portsmouth and Southampton. Went to school in Portsmouth, but supporters of Hampton. Just to get this out of the way. Yeah. Age ten, nineteen seventy six. Um, supported Liverpool as a kid. Right. Um, a friend of my father's uh, said, uh, "Would you like to come to a football match?" I said, "Yeah, great." He happened to support Southampton. He took me to the Dell. Not to Fratton Park. I my first ever experience of live football was age ten, nineteen seventy six, watching Southampton. I think play Fulham, and six weeks later, they won the FA Cup. Still one of the top three greatest days of my life. I'll never forget it. Bobby Stokes, eighty third yeah. minute. Never. I got the whole team. Um, you yeah, never, never forgotten. Ran down the park straight. Over, uh, the well, final you don't give very many options. Re- recreated re- re- that re- goal re- hundreds of times. Recite me the eleven. Oh blimey. Can you do all of them? Uh, not all of them, but no, okay. Turner, Peach, McCallion, <laughs> Shannon, Bo, um, Osgood, uh, Bobby Stokes, uh, Peter Rodriguez, Peter Rodriguez yeah. captain. Um, That's probably fa- nearly fantastic. all of them. Fantastic. No, I, I could do it if yeah. I had a bit more time. Yeah. Um, you don't turn back from that. You don't go back from that age 10. Um, and it was hell going to school in Portsmouth and sports. Oh, oh I can imagine. Mm. And also, I hope that we'll and get that's why I ran fast. We'll get time towards yeah. the end of the program to talk about the current situation at Southampton yeah. Football Club. Yeah. Um, I mean, Southampton Portsmouth. Let's be fair. Madness. One is very badly run, but relatively successful. Yeah. One is very badly run and going out of business. Yeah. It's, it, it, yeah. it's, it's very sad. But I think the, th- the thing with this sport, which is really important with me, was was running. I was I was a fast kid from the moment I could run. I had no reference that I was that good. Um, I love team sports. I didn't like individual sport. I recognise now I was somebody who was always happy hiding behind my teammates. I'm not somebody to put myself up to the front. A lot of people go to athletics because they don't want to be part of a team. They don't yeah, want to rely on other people. I'm always happy around other people. Hi, um, Daly. Hi, Chris. Well, hi, Daly. Hi, Chris. <laughs> hi, Steve Backley, who I run a business with. Right. You know, and, and I'm always better with other people around me. I acknowledge that. I never had the dream of going to the Olympics. I didn't know how good I was. Where I was lucky was... Running is the most natural of all sports. It's the foundation of most sports. Yeah. You don't have to train that hard. If you've got a gift for running, it's, it's very cruel running. You can, we can go to any school in the country and you can see the kids that can run. They don't have to train at it. They can. Yeah. Now, that's good enough to, to put you on the right wing and play for the south of England. It's not good enough to make the England rugby team, which I missed out on because I didn't have the skills. I, but, but what it did allow me to do when I eventually went to athletics was with a bit of training... With that amount of talent, I was able to become Commonwealth and European champion. And it's not good enough to win Olympic medals, but it will take you a very long way in athletics. Mm. And I was just lucky that I was given that, that ticket. Um, 
and fell into it. But I didn't have it from an early age. I didn't have the dream of the Olympics. Um, you also, uh, we're going to talk, um, I hope not too much, but we are going to have to talk about injury mm. and physical um, issues quite a lot in your, in your story. Um, and as early as 11 years of age, I don't know, possibly because you live in a house with a, with a doctor and a, no, and a nurse, yeah. you discovered you've got a heart condition. Well, that's condition. not an injury. I mean, that's, that's, no, that's, that's congenital, is it? Yeah, yeah, I still have it. I mean, I, I see a specialist. What is it? I have a leaking a- aortic heart valve. So they found it in my school um, medical. The, they do a medical and they heard this leak. I was sent to a specialist and I have it. And in theory, I shouldn't be able to do what I did at, at all. I wasn't allowed to do cross country for the first year of school. I wasn't allowed to play competitive rugby. I was monitored all the time. My father was very worried about it. Um, and that's a reality. Now, clearly, it wasn't a problem. But it's there. I see a specialist every year. Um, it's the one thing I can't get insurance for. <laughs> um, and it allows me to, to, to do my bit for the British Heart Foundation legitimately. Um, it just seems a bit odd. Yeah. Um, but I still have to go once a year. I still have to have the, the, the checkup. I still, as an athlete, I used to go down to Southampton General. And every year I could have walked into that room and he could have, the specialist could have said, I'm sorry, you're going to have to stop. I went every year except for one year. I didn't go in 96. I've got so many things I need to find out about you from <laughs> when you were younger. Um, we talked about the music. You know, so your brother is a world-famous uh, musician. Um, you were a chorister when you were younger. Yeah. Um, let's have a quick burst on your... On, I wish we had some music. Right. You, were in, you, you had a, a, a punk band called um, Psychopathic, the Psychopathic Vegetables. Vegetables. Is that yeah. your idea for the name? I, uh, I can't probably. Yeah. It didn't I, last long. Oh, no, no, but most, most new bands, yeah. um, they spend more time worrying about the name than the music. No, our they? problem was, only of, the f- of the three or four of us, only, only uh, two of us could, could play. Um, and uh, it was just four mates that got together during that era, which is what you do at 16, 17, isn't it? You form yeah. a punk band, don't yeah. you? Yeah, well, I, I think I think you were just about to let you off. It's, it's, yeah. You might have missed the wave of Maybe. punk there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. we but were I, more... I know from what you're telling me, you still listen to I it. I think so. we, were more, we were more influenced by the Stranglers than yeah. than, than, the, than, than Sex Pistols okay. at the time. Okay, and cool, so. they would have still been having hits. Yeah. And finally then, um, if you were an excellent rugby player, and you were an excellent rugby player, mm. you said well, I was quick. Helped. Yeah, quick, yeah. yeah. Um, at what point then did you decide to make athletics your number one priority? It became very clear. To, I, I got I got into athletics because I'm, I'm I wanted to be a doctor and I messed up my Mass A level exam. You actually wanted to be a doctor yeah, like your yeah, dad, did you? Yeah, yeah. So what happened was was that I got rejected from St Bart's Hospital. I got I got an A, a B, and I got a D in maths. And I thought they'd let me in because who needs maths for medicine? And they didn't. And suddenly I had a year off to retake it. And it was in that year that a friend of mine who jumped was a high jumper for Hampshire who's now the national olympic high jump coach and the coach for Robbie Grabartz guy called Faz Ahmed who was my mate my only mate really in athletics um because I had run I'd done the Hampshire championships so yeah. you know, I did you know I did a bit, a bit of competition you dabbled you dabbled I dabbled, yeah. I dabbled he said you need to come along train with Chris Akabusi Todd Bennett just come back from the 84 olympics train under the guidance of Mike Smith the best 400 meter group in the country and and no exaggeration two months later I got my indoor international vest for Great Britain. And that was just, I had the talent. I just didn't, I hadn't been put in the environment. I just chased Akabusi up a hill. It's November 84 when you go to Southampton Athletics Mm. Club. As you say, you met Mm. uh, top runners like Chris Akabusi, we know has a huge influence in your life. Mm. Um, Hopefully we'll get the great man to talk about you Mm. in a little while. Mm. And Todd Bennett, people like that. Um, What happens over the next year and a half is, is, is extraordinary. Yeah, yeah, and Todd Todd was the main man. I mean, Todd was the sort of you know the the, the number one of the group, 
Uh, it was Todd and Chris, and then. The, but also, you mustn't forget a, a group is not made up of two people. There were all these other athletes that were were around who were all very good athletes, and so, and I slotted into that in my plimsolls and my, my woolly jumper, and it took me a while to get used to it. I hadn't, I'd never trained, and you're with these guys in all their tracksuits. How old do you remind us? Huh? I was eighteen. Eighteen, and, and you've never trained. And I'm never, just telling this story. I don't want to jump yeah. ahead. I'm just going to say that within two years. You're a world-class athlete. I mean, this is yeah. not one of those stories about people who struggle for 15 no, no, no. years to get no, to find no. the key. No, but as I said earlier, a lot of that is because there, it, it's it's yeah, you, the talent to run is a very natural talent. Um, so I start basically training, um, and I start chasing them. And you chase, and you run. And the, but there's some key sessions that you find out. Go on. The, the the key session was on a Tuesday night, and it was a hill session, and it was running up a hill on a place called Thornhill in uh, in Southampton, and they do it say 10 times. And Akabusi and Bennett would go, and everyone would chase them, and and then you then you do the first one, you'd walk down the hill, do another, you do the, say six, eight, ten, I can't remember the details. Mm-hmm. By the fourth or fifth, people start to fall off, and the by the last two or three, that's when the the, the cream rises, so to speak. And for the first few, few weeks, it was tough, but I st- but I just didn't fall off, and I just started to get closer. And, and Chris will always say, he suddenly thought, what's going on here? Um, that's when I started to think. Hmm, this is interesting. And I just did it. I didn't think. I just ran. I just my life had changed. I was suddenly training six days a week. I was with these great guys and I was just doing it. And then you go and do your first race outside, um inside, indoors it was in those days, and you break the British junior record. And and it was as quick as that. It really was as quick as that. And you beat. In fact, it was January '85. It, I've got I've got a lot of notes yeah. in front of me. And you beat Ainsley Bennett. Yeah, but Ainsley and Ainsley. I bumped into him the other day actually. And and you know Ainsley Ainsley. There's I remember. You know Ainsley was 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 a name. And he turned to me and he said, "You're special." I always thought that if if if, if he ever lost a race by a hundredth of a second. Running in spectacles, must yeah, be, it's yeah. adding weight to, your, to but, the whole process, isn't it? But these guys, you know, who you'd heard of, and there was a guy called Buster Watson, there were whole guys, and, yeah. and when these guys say to you, they know, and you you see it now with the kid, they they know it's different, they know it's different. And Akabusi was the one who said it. Akabusi, Akabusi was a four hundred meter runner, and he changed to the four hundred meter hurdles, and he did it because he looked me in the eye and he said, "I can't beat you." And I can't beat Derek Redmond because you two are on different leagues to what we've ever seen. But I want to be successful, so I'm changing. And when someone like that says that to you, you know you must be quite good. And Chris was a, a huge, huge help to me, obviously. And then you get the recognition for someone like a Daley Thompson, who was a god in our world. Yes. Who invited me and Chris to come and train with him in California. Now tell me about that. How did that come about? Well, we, we, did, we didn't really know Daley. We sort of knew him. And Chris knew him better than I did. And he used to train in California. And he invited us out. And... We had no money. I was going to say, who would finance something like that? Well, we, we had no money. And, and, and we had a little bit, but not a lot. And we went. And Chris and I went and rented a, 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 in a motel. We had no money. We, had, we, we rented a car for $2 a day. We, we ate on no budget at all. We were there for four weeks. By the end of our careers, we were there for three months of actually living there. Um, but we wanted to be around Daley Thompson. Because of that, we met Edwin Moses. When you surround yourself with these guys, it rubs off. And yeah, when Chris Akabusi gave up the 400 metres, he couldn't beat you. Yeah. Didn't, didn't you realise Ed Moses lived in this world as well? Yeah, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> he, he did all right. Yeah. It, was a, it was a good choice, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it just all happened very, very quickly, and it really did. And there I was, this kid still, who the beauty of sport is, of course, you're not judged on what you look like, what colour you are, where you come from. That's the beauty of sport, and 
it didn't matter that I was this this sort of as they called me, you know, they called me Lord Black or the sort of you know the posh white kid, the middle class white kid, as Akabusi always says. It didn't matter that Chris and I came from two very very different backgrounds. We were we were we shared a goal, a dream, a talent, and we needed each other, and we had. It's what we had in common that was so much greater than our differences. Okay, well, you, you, we we spoke about this briefly off air, and for, the listeners will forgive us um, mm-hmm. when we were talking about this growing in the build up to the show. There are people from poor backgrounds. Chris would talk about that himself, mm-hmm. and did talk about it in the in the show, for whom boxing, football, athletic mm. is an escape, a mm. way of making a living that they wouldn't have made and all the rest mm. of it. That's not true it wasn't for you. For me, no. uh, but you go on to be a world-class yeah. athlete. There must be something other other going on then because you could, you know, you failed to be you failed your A levels, you could have gone back to university and gone off and been an accountant well, I did go or to whatever. University. Yeah. Quite. I did. I, I mean right. I retook I, and I went back, I went right. to Southampton University and then I left. Um, yes. because I because because my life had changed and I had a passion for sport. Yeah. Um, but but that doesn't that doesn't so explain, what drove, that doesn't explain what drove the drive. What got me through the injuries and setback? What got yeah. me? Um, I think it's different for for different people, and I think for me, um, it was very straightforward. I, I think eventually I appreciated my talent, and I didn't want to look back for the rest of my life knowing that I was one of the lucky ones given a shot at it. It's just a ticket, gives you a go, and I didn't want to look back going. I, I I I didn't go for it. I didn't I didn't I I didn't respect the opportunity I had. There's also a part of me that if you give me a goal and a target, I'm going to go for it. I'm not I'm not a whinger. I'm going to get on with it. Um, I'm not super competitive. I don't think I'm super competitive. Daly will tell you. I mean, Daly's the most competitive man I've ever met. He 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 still is. He loves to compete. I don't have that in me. And nor does Chris. Actually, when we both retired, we kind of stopped. Um, but there's something in me that. I, I, I guess I wanted to I, I liked I liked winning I liked knowing that I could do it I, I thought it was a great way to have it was a great life you know it's better than going to university and <laughs> better than being a yeah. doctor but it was fun it was fun but I think the driving force for me ultimately was at some point later on I got the dream of standing on the Olympic rostrum and once you have that dream it, it is it is so deep inside you that I never wanted to let it go and I certainly didn't want to look back knowing that I could have done it but I didn't do it properly. And once I commit to something, I'm in. And and I committed, I would say I didn't commit to, properly till later on in my career, but I got away with it for the first half and then I really committed. And the thing I'm most proud of was is the fact that I could have run a bit faster, maybe could have won, there were one or two races I should have won that I didn't. But I think I did all right on the the. The, the talent I was given. All right. Well, let's let's just let's say that that, that you're right, and that uh, it is uh, something in your is God given, or it's in oh. your in your DNA, whatever whatever it is. It, you you turn it into uh, success incredibly quickly. Mm. We could jump forward eighteen months to nineteen eighty six. Well, um, it was a whirlwind. I mean, just Commonwealth Games in July. The key was the Commonwealth yeah. Games. The Commonwealth Games was in Edinburgh. It was a wet, windy day, and I got to the final without knowing what I was doing. And I won it, and I beat a guy called Darren Clark, who was the hot Australian, yeah. who basically bottled it, bottled the final because it was windy. And that was the day I, I realised, hang on a minute, I'm a competitor, not just a good athlete. There's a difference in athletics. There are very talented people who, when it comes to competition, they, they can't do it. You know, I surrounded myself with two of the greatest competitors, Chris Akabusi and Daley Thompson, and I, and I lived to compete. I didn't live to run fast times or to, 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 to look good in training. It was all about the championships. And I loved the championships. That was my, my element, as it was for Chris and David. And I didn't know what I was doing. Honestly, that was just health. Yeah. One of the last times I had it. 
fitness because I've been training with this group and naivety. I had no, I wasn't thinking, I just ran. And that, that was significant. Even more significant was two and a half weeks later. Though. Well, let me just say that uh, you go on in Edinburgh, as you heard the yeah. great David Common say there, um, three of the first four in the individual yeah. were Englishmen. Yeah. And so yourself and Todd Bennett, Chris uh, and Phil Brown, Phil Brown. Um, win Lovely, the gold yeah. medal in the relay. You've got two gold medals now. Two and a half weeks later... Yeah. Um, well, actually, we'll, we'll take we'll take a quick break and then we'll come back to this because two and a half weeks well, later, it's a different ball game. Th- then we're in then we're into the European and then you've got Schoenleber, and, and then you're, a different then, you're, then we've got Thomas Schoenleber, and yeah. we'll find out whether you really are the athlete yeah. we all think you're going to become. You're listening to my sporting life here on Talksport with me, Danny Kelly. Much more importantly, Roger Black. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So you've won two gold medals um, on raw youthful talent in the Commonwealth Games in Edinburgh. The way that the, uh, the athletics worked in those days, that two and a half weeks later, mm. um, in Stuttgart in Germany, um, there was the European Championships, and suddenly you're up against, as you mentioned him before, the East German uh, Thomas Schoenleber yeah. was a beast at and, this at the and time. And in those days, you know, the European Championships was a big deal. Yeah. and Still is in my world, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, Schoenleber was the real deal. And to beat Schoenleber, you would have to run very, very fast. Under 45 seconds in yeah. theory. And I, don't, I don't think you've done that at that stage. No, and of course, as an athlete, you're judged on two things. You know, Ultimately, you look back and it's the medals that really count. But you're also judged on how fast you ran. Uh, the two tend to go hand in hand. Um, and the European Championships was was the moment I became, uh, I believe, you know, a real contender in the world on the world scheme because I proved I could do it again. Yep. as a championship performer and around 44-59 broke the British record and beat Schoenleber Who was the previous holder of the British record can you remember? Uh, prior to that was um, 
David Jenkins wow. or was it Derek? No, I think Derek Redman had just done it right. the year before. Um, Derek and I sort of swapped records uh, over a while, and um, yeah, that was it. The Europeans was was th- that 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 changed everything. Doing the double, yeah. The only other person to have done that was you and Thomas actually a few years ago, and that was his one year really, if you think about yeah. it in reflection. But and uh, but it's a big deal when you do the double, and uh, and it was a big deal. And my life changed. Absolutely. Well, we'll come back to how your life changed in just one second. I think that's what my, was my next question after this one. Um, of course, we will talk, and I know you're probably um, blue in the face from talking about the famous yeah. uh, relay gold medal, mm-hmm. but you also won the gold medal at Stuttgart yeah. as well in another race that's yeah. famous in, in its own mad way. Yeah. I mean, uh, there was a change in the team early in the morning. Brian Whittle oh, came in, who was a kind of... He had a Marx yeah. Brothers curly yeah. hair, didn't he? Yeah, and, uh, and you know, and and wasn't a great four hundred meter runner by any means. And uh, but great bloke to have in your team. Great bloke to have in your team. And he had to run his leg, as I remember, with one shoe. He, he ran his the shoes third leg. He, he ran the third leg. Vladimir Krylov stood on the heel, as he often said. Uh, he's Brian Scott. Yeah. And he ran the. I th- thought I'd make that yeah, clear for the listeners. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he was Australian <laughs> by descent. And uh, he um hand, he ran the whole of the third leg, handed over to me. I think I handed over to me in second or third place. And um, I brought home the bacon. But, I mean, you know, that was it. People remember that race. And it was the European Championships in 1986 when Brian Whittle lost his shoe. Yep. Amazing. You've got to be famous for something. That was it. Gold medal again for you. And as you said, there was a civic parade in Gosport. Um, all right. Tell me how... Um, I mean, as you say, this has come on so quickly. That's yeah. the, the story. Absolutely. It's come on so quickly. Absolutely. You're suddenly European champion, which means you're in world class. You've gone on only 45 seconds. How does that change your life? First, your own view of, of, of your athletics. And secondly, um, did it change your life? Did you get money? Did you get yeah. sponsorship? Yeah, what happened? I got sponsorship. Not huge amounts of money, but suddenly you, you become a commodity. So uh, I signed, uh, got a contract, I think, with uh, Adidas, I think, back then. Can't remember. Um, got, got a, Me and Chris got a, a, a sponsored car. It wasn't big bucks by any means, but suddenly, you know, you, you become more than just a talented athlete. You become somebody who could who can is of value um did you realize that at the time yeah yeah. yeah and uh and, and then you start thinking about olympic medals and you start seriously thinking about it not wishing it but actually thinking it because you realize that, that that's good enough to win olympic medals um and i look back now and i was fit i was young i was healthy it was it was i'm not saying it was easy but relatively it was easy and it was never that easy ever again Ever. Yeah. Um, and that's partially because the next part of this story, I guess, that we're trying to unfold between us uh, is amazing success and then injury. Yeah. The next two years, but you're hurt. Of aren't course, you? because think about it. Age 18, I go into an, a, a, a world class training group and I've never even touched my toes and I've played rugby and football all my life. And I have an imbalance in my body, which you don't realise you have. Nowadays, it wouldn't happen because you get checked out. But in those days, there was no medical science. And you can do this for so long, and then your body will break, and it will break at its greatest point. But yours broke good and proper. Mine broke, so I fractured my my right or left foot. I can't remember now, and and it just broke, and I couldn't put it down, and and that was it. I I I was I was broken. I was broken, and there was nothing I could do, and I had to. I had to, to to get myself out of it because we didn't have the support structure they have nowadays. My coach Mike Smith couldn't deal with it; didn't know what to do. I put my hand in my pocket and had to had to travel to Germany to have an operation and whenever it, I hear the phrase it, I had to travel to Germany and get an operation it's always the same man and it's the it, same man now no, isn't it, was, it? it oh, no I went no? To, no I went to I went to Muller Wolf it wasn't Muller Wolf oh, I did right. see Muller Wolf at one point uh, with other injuries but uh, 
Uh, maybe it was Miller Wolford, but yeah. he didn't operate. It, he sent me to someone else. No, he offered you a mixture of calf's blood and yeah, honey. Yeah, I was one of his first ever. I was one of his first ever clients, actually, and now he's treated everyone in the world. I mean, everyone who's anyone. Oh, it's calf's blood and honey and, remedy uh, as well. Famous yeah, yeah. now. Did you drink um, that? Yes. No, no, no. It was injected into. <laughs> okay, right. You. But but um, and that was in his. You know, when he was starting out. So it's quite funny. I mean, I sort of lived in his. But he's still. He's still. Uh, he's oh, still, huge. Uh, footballers. Yeah, uh, huge. Uh, you always everyone, end up there, there, don't you? Yeah. I was one of the first ones, and it actually came through Frank Dick, who was. The national coach who had sent Boris Becker there, and it was through that connection that I went there. Um, but he didn't operate on me; someone else operated on me. Um, oh, and it just you know. You, then you had then you had you say then you that, that, but that was kind of a, that was a sacroiliac injury, and then you had the foot injury, which was really yeah. obviously if you're yeah. a runner, a foot injury is yeah. a big. Problem. But it was constant. Because... But why couldn't they find out what was wrong with you or deal with what was wrong with you? Because if I have a foot injury, I go to the, to the local outpatients, and they'll put a cast on it, and two weeks later because, I'll be fine. Because, I believe. Well, to give you the details, um, I had a a fracture of my navicular bone in my foot, <coughs> which could not be seen by a normal X-ray in those days. MRI scanners hadn't really come in into this country. I went to Germany. And it's taken two or three months to see it because I went to the, the cutting edge MRI scanner that was able to see the fracture. So, I mean, it's all a bit boring and complicated. But, but what it did was it was the first time where I realised how bad do I want to come back? Do I go back to medicine now? Do I go back and become a doctor? Yeah. I had a good innings. And it was then that, that that flame in my belly through that, through having it taken away so quickly that the flame in my belly was lit. Um, and I... And it shaped me as a person because it had been taken away. Footballers who have been out for three months always yeah. talk about the dark and lonely place they've gone to. You were out for, off and on for two years. Yeah. Who did you talk to, Roger? Did your well, it all changed. Or, or well, it, see, athletes? How, it, did, how well, did you get it, well, it? See, my parents ne- weren't involved at all and never were, and, and that was a fine. I had never a problem with that. Uh, a few close friends. Um, but so, of course, Akabusi was, was healthy and was had his own goals. You, know, you, you may be a team in some ways, but also you're an individual and you're doing your own thing. Chris couldn't really help me. He was he was focusing on what he was doing. My coach at the time couldn't help me. The person I turned to was Chris's hurdles coach, a guy called Mike Whittingham, yeah. who had been injured as an athlete in the past. And I needed one-to-one help. I needed somebody who could get me back slowly and properly and be focused on me rather than go back into this big group where you're just one of many. And without him and a, a, a great uh, South African um Apply kinesiologist who unfortunately passed away last Let's year. Let's have that word again. Uh, apply kinesiologist, which focuses on the balance of Ron the body. Ron Holder. Ron. Ron yeah. passed away last year, unfortunately. Oh. But Ron, Ron was was very different. He treated the not the, the the symptom. He would go back to the cause. So he, had, my body was completely out of balance. I was always going to get injured. Um, without him, I wouldn't have got back on track. Take the athletics out of it. Uh, uh, the, uh, not being able to compete. Two, there are two. It seems to me. Um, consequences of this long long layoff that you have you did split from your coach mike smith was that because of the injury yes because mike said to me he said look i can't help you come back to me when you're healthy to which i said well that's no help at all i was left and it's not mike's fault he didn't have the skills as a coach to deal with somebody who'd been injured if you're fit and healthy great go and train with him but if not he didn't have that he's old school and that's fine and and that's why i turned to mike whittingham and mike whittingham was amazing i mean he he you know, we you know, hours and hours together running on grass, and he kept me back. He delayed me coming back, and he got me back. And when he got me back, I my loyalty was with him. The other thing is, you're not earning any money. No, you're losing this. money. You're in and debt the sponsors, now. I mean, he's, but you, you're and right. I had a house that was mortgaged. The, and got the, the second place. you you win the the four gold medals in in, in three yeah. weeks, of course everyone wants you. Two yeah. years later, did, am I right in thinking they took your car back? Um, 
no it wasn't that bad i can't say it was that bad um yeah that was a, a local, local garage and a friend but um <laughs> okay no i mean yeah the money runs out you don't make an income if you're not running and and I but you know what honestly danny you know that's okay yeah and, and and you could argue that's what that's when you find out and if you don't suffer a little bit how can you really appreciate but you it? know what roger i was thinking about this the other day i saw one of the uh I'll, I'll, let's put it one of the olympic divers complain that they had their money cut yeah. and saying well now i won't be able to pay my mortgage but hang on that that's was, not what that's the money's lottery, for that's lottery funding. and, I, that's not paying your and mortgage, I don't want to sound big and grand here i never expected anything from my sport i was lucky to have the talent to do it and my sport owed me nothing um, I, I ended up borrowing some money off a wonderful man called Sir Eddie Kulakundis, who lent me £10,000 when I really had no money towards the end. And I got a £10,000 bonus for winning the European Championships in 1990, and that went straight to Eddie Kulakundis. Um, apart from that, I survived. You missed the 88 Olympics, obviously, in Seoul. Um, did you? Yeah, broke a foot. Were, yeah, you with your foot. You were a TV pilot ITV, then. yeah. 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 Leg and plaster. Yeah, I remember it very well. Yeah, yeah with, Deni- with um, uh, 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 Dennis Norton was presenting it, is that, know, uh, as in film. No, is that, no um, who presents film? I, I, oh, um, Come on. Barry Norman. Barry, Barry, yeah. Barry Norman presented it. If only Dennis Norton did yeah, do it. Yeah, Dennis that, Norton, that, Barry then you, Norman. Then you'd have some kind of TV programme, wouldn't you? So I did a bit of telly, but it wasn't the same thing. No. Um, and so, so you, you mentioned you mentioned then you, you do come back, Mike Whittingham takes up the yeah. reins. Mike, 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 you know, Mike without Mike. And in 1990, um, again, this weird uh, conjunction, although they, they're now, I think, six months apart, aren't they? The Commonwealth Games and the Europeans. Tell us about how you got on there. We went to Commonwealth in New Zealand. I, I, I wasn't really back, but I was good. You know, I did one race in, in, in Jersey, I think, around 45-5, so I got into the squad. We got disqualified in the final for standing on the wrong line of the relay, which was ridiculous. <laughs> But for me, it was all about coming back and trying to retain my European title. In that was always the what goal. Was then Yugoslavia. Yeah, that was always the goal. You've got to have a goal when you're out and injured. You've got to hold on to it. You've got to live it, breathe it, visualise it. And I always had something. That's a great thing as an athlete. You've always got something to shoot for. And it was to retain my European title, which I managed to do. And that t- still goes t- down to me as, as one of the most significant races of my career because I proved to myself I could come back from injury. It's the greatest challenge any athlete will face coming back from injury. And you beat Thomas Schoenleber again. Beat Schoenleber again. He wasn't, yeah, we, we, I didn't run particularly fast, but I still still hung on to beat him. You and, were, you were, I mean, obviously, the, the world has changed from four years previously yeah. because... Um, uh, whereas that was all youthful bounding. I think afterwards, I, I remember you walked the lap of honour. I don't think you were in great shape. Yeah, by the end well, of I race. wasn't. I mean, I, you know, I hadn't really prepared for it like I would like to have done, but I was. I managed to to, to get away with it. And once again, and because we're building up to something <laughs> here, once again, the four by four hundred. Yeah, we, we, we had an, we had an amazing. It's fair to say that quite apart from the four the four who won that famous world championship in which you're the, the fourth yeah. of the quartet to talk to us yeah. but we had all kinds of people Paul Sanders um, helped to win that four by yeah, four we had a whole and lot he was of people course, he, was a, he was part of our training group in Hampton he had, you had a whole lot of people who could run 400 metres very very quickly yeah. and you once again win the gold medal there yeah. um, well having recaptured your fitness and successfully defended your European title in, uh, in, in Yugoslavia, which, as you say, was another very important step. Next, we'll be discussing one of the highlights of your career, and it is, and we'll discuss why it is such an iconic moment in the history of British sport, that 4 by 400 metres relay in the 1991 World Championship in Tokyo when Great Britain defeat the all-conquering USA team to win the gold. Roger, we move now, we're going to talk about that famous relay race in Tokyo in the World Championships in 1991, and regular listeners to the show will know that Roger is the fourth of that quartet to actually come in and tell his story. But I actually want to talk about the individual event mm. beforehand. Um, 
where you didn't win the World Championship. You were beaten by an American called Antonio Pettigrew. Of course, America traditionally mm. um, is the great power at 400 metres running. Mm. Um, not anymore. Well, uh, not, oh, not yeah. the way they were. Not the way they were. There's always someone. Not the way they were. But Antonio Pettigrew is a very particular yep. case. Yep. Um, tell us about the well, race itself. Well, I mean, in the 400 metre world, you know, winning a Commonwealth and the Europeans is great. But ultimately, there are... You can only only really be 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 one of the big boys if you have a world or Olympic medal. As I look back over my career, I'm more proud of my Olympic and world medals than anything else because mm-hmm. no one else has done it since yeah. since Eric Little. So it's a big deal. Um, it's tough. The Americans are very very good. The Africans are very very good. Um, so I went to the World Championships in Tokyo in '91. I was in good shape. Of course, I'd, I'd I'd only really just come back. I'd come back 1990, but it's the year after where. You know, it was always struggle, but yeah. Yeah, I was running well. And it was just when Michael Johnson was talking about going to the 400, but he hadn't done it yet. Still trying and to he did the next year, so that yeah, that was, that was it. And it, it was Pettigrew, it was a guy called Roberto Hernandez from Cuba, and a guy called Danny Everett from America, and Andrew Valman had all run faster than me, but I knew I was a championship runner. When it comes to the championships, it's not about the times, it's about four races in four days Getting in those days. And... Have you got the balls to do it? And And I loved it. And I was good in the championships, and I knew I could take them. And I blew it. And I blew it. And if I, I should have won that race. If I just learned to relax and make it easy. But you I, ran fast, 44, yeah, but, but I was in great shape, Danny, and, and I had 44-4 on my legs. And if I just learned, I hadn't learned by then to run the 400s properly for me. I still was going off too quickly and hanging on. And the challenge in the 400 is in a major final, You've got to pace it, and you've got to have the experience and the ability to pace it. And the it. courage. It takes uh, terrible courage to start it takes hold courage. something back, it takes, doesn't it? You're absolutely right. It takes courage to make something easy again and to make it easy. And I hadn't learned to do that. And that's okay because I did master it in 96. But in 91, I was in great shape, and I went off a bit too quickly, and Pettigrew took me on the line, and it's my one regret because I should have been world champion. Now, that would have changed my life because I probably would have been sports personality of the year. I think who Liz, was? Liz McColgan oh, was, I think. Okay, yeah. Um, you know, she won the 10,000. Mm-hmm, with respect, mm-hmm. you know, Who knows? And then, of course, went on to win the relay. Double gold, world championships, my life would have changed. Now, the interesting thing is, could I have coped with that then? What do you think? Not sure. Not sure. And would I have then gone on in 96 to be the... Olympic silver medalist. Not sure if I'd won the Worlds in 91. We'll never know. All right. But well, I, it's the one race I should have... It's the one regret of my career, and I don't have many, because I don't look back in life with too many regrets. But if I'm honest, looking back, that was my one chance. I never got that chance again, because Johnson was a different league. Of course. Uh, but there's also the, the, the story, the parallel story to this, is that Antonio Pettigrew, the man who beat yeah. you, was later a self-confessed yeah. doper. Yeah. And as recently as two years ago, I think, Killed himself. Yeah. Uh, and what do, you, well, what, what do you feel? I mean, do you, do you, do you, we don't know that he was on dope then. He didn't admit to it. Well, he didn't. He said that. he wasn't in '91. It doesn't. It does. It, t- for me personally, even if he was on drugs then, I should have won the race. So, for me personally, and of course, ultimately, as an athlete, you're the only thing that matters is what we call the mirror test. You look in the mirror after the race and what comes back at you. So, you know, Sloan Labour was probably on, well, was on drugs yeah, in '86. I still beat him. So. I should have beaten Antonio whether he was on drugs or not. So, so it doesn't change anything in that respect. All I have. For well, you're Antonio- unusual then, because because a lot of people of your generation who were clean athletes are incredibly bitter about well, the drug takers. Look, I, I made a decision, and Akabusi made that decision. And 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 whether you believe me or not on this one, um, 
because there are many people who always think you can't win world Olympic medals without taking drugs. And probably get a chance to talk about this more. In, yeah, in later but, on, but, but but Chris and I and Daly, I can honestly tell you, in that training group, we never talked about it because we realised it was a it was a, and many people did. Many people focused. Oh, he's on drugs. He's on drugs. He can't do this. Can't do that. We just got on with it, and it wasn't. But because we felt we could beat people with or without it, and and it's important that because. I didn't think about it, and and I think if I had thought about it, I don't think I would have been the competitor I was. Because Pettigrew did admit to being a doper, yeah. there's, there's a, another silver medal of yours later on down the line. Yeah, it's now sure. been promoted to a gold yeah. medal. Yeah. Is is that an important thing or not? Um, for me as an athlete, it's it's the moment that matters. Yeah. It's the standing on the rostrum and, and celebrating that moment. Yeah, a gold medal given to you, well, a plastic gold medal given given to you ten years later, retrospectively, can never give you that moment again. Yeah, this is this. this, this what this, it can do is it can it can change the way you're introduced to an audience as a two-time world gold medalist, but it can never take away the essence of why you do it, which is to focus on that day, that point in time, to train for it, prepare to it, and deliver at it and get your just rewards. You can't get that back. Funny enough, this is when, when Nicole Cook, who recently yeah. retired in the site, comes talking about the victims of Lance Armstrong, yeah. the people who didn't get to beat him, or his US postal team, or discovery team, whatever one it was, she said, oddly enough, it's not about money, this is they can't get back. Can't get, the it, race where they were fit and, could, and, and, and couldn't win. As an athlete, that's the essence. You're moving to that point and you're judged on your performance. You can't ever take that back. You know, the Pettigrew story, just to, just to close it, really yeah. sad, really sad. And I feel sadness because I knew him. I spoke to him um, before he, he admitted taking drugs. I genuinely thought he was clean. I genuinely thought of all the athletes, Pettigrew was clean, and I was wrong. Yeah. And, you know, he leaves a young son, and I hope he didn't take his life because he couldn't live with being a drugs cheat. I don't know the details of why, but he left a son. Yeah. So whatever the reason, it must have been pretty serious. Well, let's uh, let's uh, let's move on to what is a, a, a hopefully a more happy uh, subject. The yeah. fact that the four of you, um, and we've already heard on the show from Chris Akabusi, yeah. Derek Redmond, um, and I so must forget John real, Regis. Yeah, don't forget John Regis because no, no, you know no, yeah. no, the loudest of the four, which is saying <laughs> no, something. No, was the loudest. Well, uh, not on the day here. Yeah. It wasn't. Uh, but, uh, what I will say, what I'll say about that is, I'm delighted because you've talked about him so much and the effects had in yeah. your life. We're joined to talk about this by Chris Akabusi. Hello, Chris. Daddy, how are you, fella? Very, very good indeed. Not as good as you I suspect by the tone of your voice as always well you know what it's just lovely to speak to Pretty Boy and to, to be on Pretty Boy's show let me, let me ask you Chris I'm going to so dull, Chris, he's, so, he's so predictable yeah Chris Chris I'm going to I'm going to ask you a serious question because we've heard about this race now from all angles but let me ask you this question why do you think and Roger and I have talked about this uh, off air why do you think this particular race continues to fascinate people and is so stuck in the sporting memory of the nation I mean I think there's a series of things I mean I think the story of the underdog the fact is that outside of the four guys or six guys that were in the relay team nobody else expected us to really challenge for gold it was out of the blue I think the story itself that you've got four guys on the day that took the destiny in their own hands and dared to be different and I think that all the the discussions around it. I mean, David Coleman, love David Coleman, but if you listen to the commentary again, you can see his scepticism, which matches the thought process of many people in the nation, to be able to combat that and to deliver. I think the fact that, you know, you know when you've got a big brother and, you know, the United States of America is 
sort of the big brother of the Western world, and every now and again to poke them in the eye, it does you a bit of good. So I think it's all those sort of things that come together. The fact is you've got the small nation, 66 million strong, taking on the massive nation, 365 million strong, and the rest of the world, daring to be different, British bulldog spirit, putting the old duff on the last leg, it's the ingredients for success. Is that is that what you feel, Roger? Because it is, it, it is amazing that, it, that that particular, you know, athletics event is absolutely front and centre in people's minds at a certain age, particularly. If you, if you were to write a script for a piece of theatre on the athletics um, track, the script would have been that race. It was three minutes long. It wasn't over like the four by one so quickly. The the story changed you know, four times. It built, it built, and of course, it, it had the perfect ending. It, there was a, a rhythm to the race. There was a, there was a, there was theatre to the race. I think that's a part of it. Um, why we sit here twenty one years later and it's still remembered there are other factors as well myself chris and derek make a living talking about it yes. uh, we keep it alive in the psyche people it doesn't get forgotten we may see it hundreds of times over the last few years but but other people see it and they remember it um you also had four people who weren't who were known who were known but were also different but i think one of the big the, the big factors here is in the team was was the fact that you can't fake it you can't fake it when you have four people who quite clearly have something between them mm-hmm. um four people who are very different you know, though. very different very, well obviously yeah. you know yeah yeah the the, yeah, the the skinny white boy and the, you know, that's, yeah. Yeah. Oh, the guy there's only one of us wearing shorts that night and yeah. i can assure you that wasn't those three uh, um, um, you know but the different characters you got the you got without doubt the most effervescent character in athletics still to this day in chris you've got regis is a great character you've got Derek. you've got myself but I think I think all these things are factors. It was on a Sunday morning at eleven o'clock. I don't. I, it, it was. It was perfect. It it, it was perfect, um, and and it hasn't been repeated. And that's a factor as well. And Chris, I, I think there's a chance for you now to put the record straight because uh, when I had yourself um, and uh, and the other two on the show, uh, oh six seven months ago, I can't remember when it was. The three of you were virtually saying that you could have pulled somebody out of the crowd to run the first leg. Uh, you. you <laughs> You, were, you actually said that, I think. <laughs> no chance, no, no, no chance, no. Um, Roger was a centre figure point to that. You know, we all, we all, we all put a bit in there. But what, what we, what Roger gave us that we'd never had before was somebody that was not just top of their game. So you know, up there. I mean, Roger's already said he knows he could have beaten Pedro in the individual. Up there, world class, but also. I don't like to say it in front of him, but able to subordinate his ego. Because what often happens is when you've got a world-class number one performer and his ego is big, he's saying, "Listen, forget you. It's all about me." But for him, it was about us. It was about what it was about Derek, John, and myself. And he was able to put himself into that position where he ran the first leg. And he already told you, I'm sure, that you know, the first leg is the unglamorous leg. It's the toughest leg. You're in lanes, the unusual stagger. There's no sort of pattern on the back, you know, when you win. At the end of the, the the day because the guy at the who runs the last leg gets the the praise and Roger was able to support his ego and to do that and we needed that head start for the very first time in athletic history the British team was cheek by jowl up against the Americans and we gave them something to think about and that was phenomenal you know he was there's nobody else who could have done that I mean even Derek who was on a part of Roger, and we were very fortunate in having these two great quarter milers, but even Derek, with his injury-prone nature and 
you know, Derek hadn't run the first leg as much as other people. Wasn't the right person to run a leg. It was Pretty Boy himself, and he did us proud. Roger, I've got to ask you this, and Chris, I'm, I'm sure you've spoken about it before. Those of us who, 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 most of us who watched it, nearly nearly everybody, because it was in Tokyo, who, who is British or uh, English speaking, watched it on television. When you run the first leg of the relay, what happens for the next two and a half minutes? Do you, do you, do you, what was your view I, I of the I know exactly race? what I did. I didn't watch it. I, 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 I went off the track. I know exactly what I did. I, I think Chris will know. Chris will know. We, Chris and I made the decision to change the order the night yeah. before. And once you make a decision like that, it's kind of you have a sense of destiny. So oh, that whole day, there was this sense that it was going to happen. We really were sure. And I knew my job. It was very clear. We've got to be in the lead. We've got to be in the lead, which I managed to do. I handed the baton over. I walked off the track. And Brendan Foster and a guy called Murray Plant, who worked for the BBC doing the interviews, were, were trackside. And I, sat, I squatted down looking at them watching the race. And I only turned round as Chris had crossed the line. I didn't watch any of the race at all. The reason for that was, I don't know, I'm just a bit weird. But I mean, I think the reason that was... That is weird, I've yeah, got to tell weird. you that. I don't know, it was very personal. I wanted, I, I had a sense, I, I knew we were going to win. I knew yeah. we were going to win. And I just wanted to, I didn't need to watch it. That's so well, weird. But but, but, it's, it's interesting, Danny, because yeah. for me, it, it, it was the other way around. Me, I was enthralled. You know, I, I had you know, two, two and a half minutes to wait for that baton to come around for me. And as I watched Roger run his leg, and like you said, you know, we had to own this. And we were told by on no uncertain terms by the management at the time, this is on your heads, boys, it's on your heads. Mm-hmm. We had to own this. Mm-hmm. And to watch Roger come around and present that baton up there in front of the Americans was phenomenal. And then the next quarter mile, okay, it was down to Derek. If, if it's going to happen, Derek had to run a world class quarter mile leg. No injuries, no funky chicken. Boom! And I watched it. And then, of course, now all of a sudden, you're two down, two to go, and it's on to Johnny Regis. Now, John's a 200 metre runner, not a 400 metre runner. And I was watching it. And I was enthralled. And sometimes what happens, you know, you get these guys who are not used to the quarter mile, you know, and they go down the back straight, and all of a sudden, you know, they're feeling large, euphoric, and you can see them charging down and running the blazing first, you know, uh, 220 points n- nonsense, and they're dying a death coming home. And I was watching it. And I'll tell you what, Danny, I couldn't believe it. As you see John running into the turn, you see his nostrils. I'm like, oh my gosh. And, you know, and I was so much believing in the boys. And so when I get the baton, I'm so confident because I've got power and energy and enthusiasm for watching the boys deliver on our dream and, and our strategy. And, and he's right. And the thing was, we had a plan and, and we all did it. And we yeah. all did it. Yeah. And so poor old Chris had to do it. He had yeah, to do yeah. it. And, 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 oh. Because you guys did it, I don't know, this is, this is where you get a little bit mythical and childlike. I don't know. Because the boys did it, de facto, I knew what, I, don't, I mean, I, I couldn't say that 20 odd years ago because you'll have a big headed, but it's 20 years later. I knew I was going to do it. And I knew I was going to do it, not because I was great, yeah. but because of what the boys did. And all of a sudden, yeah, right. it, it was poetical. And, and it, you knew it. Yeah, and it also helped that, that Pedicure jogged as well. But, I mean, <laughs> yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll put that to one side. <laughs> yeah. 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 Roger, Roger, 
have taken all the running out of Pettigrew and yeah, yeah, exactly. the Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but, but that's why she's voice because I earn a lot of money off the back of your yeah, voice. Right, yeah. Listen, Chris, thank you very much. And when we were talking about doing this, um, Roger, you said that we can't talk about it anymore. There's nothing, there's always something new to be talked about in that race. And the news that you didn't watch it, which I didn't know. Did you not? No, no that now tells me that you were saved the agony of the rest of us of watching yeah. Pettigrew gain on him in the, in the last stretches of the home yeah. straight. You talked earlier on about the, the the feeling of wanting to win an Olympic gold medal, which had come to you later in in your. You, how did you how did you look forward to Barcelona? Well, I mean, the, the point the point is is that ultimately, for an athlete, the Olympics are what, what it's about. You will, you know, that's the currency. That's the that's the one medal you want. And as we went towards ninety two, I, I had w- w- individual medals in the worlds, Europeans, Commonwealths. You know that that. that you know, and won them all, but pretty much pretty good better. collection. But I, but I missed the Olympics in '88 and so on. Yeah, and so for me, Barcelona was this was it. You know, I'm going to come off '91 world silver medalist, and I'm going to come out and I'm going to win the Olympic medal, knowing it's going to be tough, and <laughs> it would have been incredibly tough because the Americans were, you know, running very very quickly in '92. The problem was was that you know, I was just constantly battling with injury. And and always had a problem with my right hip. Always had hamstring problems through it. You know, running through the pain, and it just got really bad in '92. And I was having anaesthetic injections at the Olympics just to dull the pain. And the truth is, it's very difficult when you're an athlete. When you're, de- I mean, Kelly Holmes talks about this. You know, she won her two Olympic gold medals in in 2004 for lots of reasons. One of which she had health for six months. Yeah, for the first time ever. And if you're healthy, I'm not saying it's easy, but it's a damn sight easier than if you're injured. And I was constantly in pain, constantly struggling, still running fast, still number one in Britain, all that sort of stuff. Um, but things changed. Uh, you know, a guy called David Grindley came onto the scene, uh, young, fit, healthy, like I'd been in 86. Uh, and the Americans were running very quick. And I went to Barcelona, and I wasn't in the right shape of, shape of mind. And I, and I got knocked out of the semi-final. I think it's still a world record, by the way, of the fastest time ever run to not make an Olympic final. Is that right? I came fifth in the semi-final in 44-70-something. David Grindley ran 44-47 to break the British record. Yeah. And didn't medal in those games, but we won a bronze in the relay. But it was, it was not a happy time for me, Barcelona, because I wasn't ready and I wasn't good enough to get away with it at that level. You say it wasn't a happy time for you. Didn't you meet your, your first wife? I did, yeah. She's yes. an athlete too. Yeah, yeah, she yeah. was an athlete for France. She was a good friend with Marie-José Perec, who, who was a very who was Olympic champion of 400 metres. And I met, I met, Let's uh, give her a name. Uh, Elsa, you, you, yeah, met uh, Elsa uh, there. Uh, you've folded your arms now. In, in ah, a, body in language. A slightly negative no, way. No, 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 look, that's fine. And, you know, <laughs> well, all right, let me ask yeah. you this question straight yeah. away. Let me ask you straight away. Um, Everybody who is yeah. not an Olympic athlete thinks yeah. that the Olympic Village <laughs> is a hotbed of sexual activity. Um, you don't have to marry them. No, you don't. Um, and it is, but it wasn't. It wasn't actually like that. No. that actually. But uh, no, that's where we met, and it's just started. Yeah, you know, couldn't speak English, couldn't be French. It was different. Yeah, you know, one of the things. Yeah, you know, without going too heavy, it's. I think it's a common of all sports people, particularly people ultimately individual sports. You're so focused on it. It's it's a young man's game. You're in it. You 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 focus. It's the most important thing in your life. So things like relationships kind of a secondary. For, for sports people and you fall into them it was alright we fell in we actually ended up getting married because I didn't really 
because I retired and we got married and, and, and we, we split up very quickly after we have a lovely daughter but we split up very quickly amicably afterwards but I wasn't emotionally intelligent in those days I think most athletes I think most athletes the list of, of divorced successful athletes is quite long if I'm honest um, all of them that I've spoken to just yeah about. pretty much everyone yeah. you know have, yeah. have other things in common rather than Olympic medals yeah um, we were a dysfunctional lot emotionally which is an interesting subject, mm-hmm. um, and I got lucky second time round. So, so, but, but, yeah, we, we, um, and where else and I were lucky was that 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 it, it is and and was amicable. But um, we should never have married each other. It was a, it's ridiculous, really. <laughs> I don't know what we were thinking, both of us, really. <laughs> but, uh, here, here as well, in 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 the notes that have been prepared for me, yeah. uh, it says it says we were talking about music in your family. It says something here about hip hop, but I think it's a misprint. I think no. you had a hip hop actually. Hip hop, yeah. No, I don't do hip hop. No, no. The 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 yeah. interesting thing is here, on top of the fact that you say you've got um, hamstring injuries, hip injuries, yeah. back injuries, yeah. a broken foot, you then also get a disease. Yeah. Um, what is Epstein-Barr well, syndrome? Well, no, it's glandular fever. Oh, it's glandular fever. Because basically, okay. you've got to understand as an athlete, and the 400 metres is tough, all events are tough, but the 400 metres, you're, you're training really, really hard with lactic acid. You're pushing. It's what it's Paula Radcliffe suffered from from this, this 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 thing. You're pushing to be the best in the world. You have to, by definition, you have to push beyond natural limits. Yeah. Um, my immune system couldn't take it, and just bang, I got glandular fever, and t- took ages to diagnose through lots of tests. And that was the hardest thing. Broken foot sounds great. Sounds oh, broken foot must be terrible. Hip operations are oh, oh. the worst thing. Epstein Barr virus. I'll tell you why. You look fine. People look at you and you look fine. And I remember back then feeling so tired and so low. I lost my personal confidence, my physical strength, and I couldn't do anything in training that I was used to doing. Well, so what, what are the symptoms then? Just, 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 just fatigue. Tiredness. Just yeah. fatigue. Yeah. And of course, the, 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 the treatment is rest, which as an athlete, you can't do. And that was the hardest thing I ever got through was 93 I nearly gave up because I couldn't see it I couldn't see myself on the Olympic rostrum then because I felt so tired and so low and I went to Australia I got as far I went with a a guy called John Ridge and we went to Australia and we we started he had Achilles problems and we started from the bottom and I got and I got back and it, it was always a struggle it was always a struggle um but that was the 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 moment where I really had to find out am I am I really made of the right stuff to keep going because I could have stopped then and fortunately I didn't stop but that was harder than any broken bone no doubt about it when you talk about that when you ask yourself are you made of the right stuff Roger when you ask yourself that question what did you find because You'd, you know, Barcelona should have been your you, Olympic Games and you, you, by your own admission you weren't in shape I, to do I, it. And you've lost your confidence because Grindley had broken the British record. I looked at David Atlanta Grindley, like I looked at David Grindley in 93, jog a race around 44.5 on telly and I remember going, I, couldn't, I can't beat him. And I've never felt that with any Briton ever And because I had glandular fever and I was just pathetic. And that's a problem because once you lose your confidence as an athlete, you know, your confidence is everything. Confidence is everything. Yeah, fitness, health, absolutely. But without confidence, you're not going to do it when it matters in the championships. And I'd, I'd lost my confidence. And no one could help me. And I just had to really sit down and really test, was I, did I really believe that I could come back in 96 and win an Olympic medal? And I had to do something drastic, which is why I went to Canberra, to the Institute of Sport. I got away. I had. That's the other thing. I had to change my identity. I had to take myself away from this country where I was known 
and and people oh Roger Black fantastic and I had to go back to just being Roger in a place where nobody really knew me and I was just working with a few people who were on mission to get me back and it was not about being known I couldn't be in this country but it was then and there no money again it was then that I really really knew that I didn't just want to win an Olympic medal I needed to and there's a big difference and I needed it and therefore I and I and that's the moment I knew that I needed this is this was this was more to me then than I ever admitted to before and I was then able to 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 come back with the help of Mike Whittingham and John Ridgen and the people around me because Chris had retired by then uh to ultimately step on the Olympic rostrum and I and I I would hate anyone to get glandular fever as an athlete but there's no doubt about it that was the moment where it became real because I was getting on as well. Okay, well, we, um, we'll we, you did come back and we'll come on to the 96 in just a second. Uh, and in the Euros in uh, in 94, in, in the European Championships in Helsinki, you won another relay gold. You got a silver medal um, in the in individual behind Dwayne Ledejo. Because I was coming back from glandular yeah, fever. Yes, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, he st- yeah, yeah. Oh, right. um, yeah, he, he, ran sub, he ran over 45 yeah. to win it, yeah. Mm. But I mean, you mentioned Dwayne Ledejo, then you mentioned being frightened of David Grindley. Mm. Um, we had an amazing crop of, of, of quarter milers. It, it, just to end this section, um, from the moment you started out in Southampton mm. to when you retire some years later, who who was the best British 400 metres runner? Other than I mean, your record says you were. Who was the other talent? Or the other talent? Derek Redmond. Go on, why? Derek Redmond. I mean, obviously you were swapping the British record with him. Uh, pretty Derek Redmond hadn't pulled his hamstring in the semi-final of the Olympics in 1992. Derek Redmond could have run under 44 seconds. Really? No other Briton, apart from me or Derek, I think could have done that. Um, Derek Redmond was so special. He had such a gift. Um, Grindley was very, very good, but didn't but got injured and couldn't didn't come back. Ewan Thomas, British record holder, but had one year, then then struggled really for many years to come back. And I think you can only judge an athlete on it's more than just how fast you run. I think it's on on, on other things. Um, I'm more proud of anything in my career of the longevity because it's tough in the 400, and 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 I'm proud of that. But if you're asking me who to rank, in my opinion, mm, who wow. could have run fastest, which Britain could have run fastest? With us all healthy? Yeah. Derek. Redmond. You. Derek will say me, I will say Derek. Okay. And I really just, Derek, you see people, I saw him in Barcelona in the first two rounds, and you can see when somebody, Derek, Derek was a great, Derek was plagued by injury, but if Derek had had a clear run and not been injured, he would have, Derek could have broken 44 seconds, and I can't say that of anybody else. Grindley, maybe, and then he got injured, that was it. But Derek, for me, was special, and but you know you're, you're comparing Derek Redmond with 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 you and Thomas, Mark Richardson, yeah. uh, David Grindley. Uh, you know it's it's a hell of a list. It's okay. a hell of a list. But if you put me on the spot, I think I think Derek Redmond. Um, Roger, we, we're coming up to the Atlanta Olympic Games now. You're 30. <laughs> Obviously, um, you would be. I was going to say, and it maybe I was a bit stupid. You regard this as your big chance to win Olympic gold, but yeah. I can't, you can't have been that foolish because Michael Johnson had come into the event and was. I mean, it wasn't I don't know what to say winning, about him. It he, wasn't about winning. It's Olympic getting games. an Olympic medal. It was about. It was getting an Olympic medal, but it was about. It was actually about delivering my maximum on the most important stage of them all, which I had never done. I'd never done that on the Olympic stage. And I didn't know what whether that would be a medal or not. Um, but I wanted to have a shot at it, and I'd never had a shot at it. And I knew it was my last chance, because I was physically very, very fragile. And I also had a sense that everything I'd been through, good and bad, had been building up to this moment. 
and changes happened you know in, in me psychologically the year before the olympic i had an operation uh, on my knee i had both my knees done one one in uh, it, yeah my first knee operation the decision to make take it i was going to go and train in in america with an american coach the best in the world a guy called john smith um and uh, he he was going to take me but I had to bring all my business stuff across to him and I was very loyal rightly to Mike Whittingham and also I had a problem with my knee and I decided to have my knee cartilages cartilage done on my right knee and thank goodness I did because that was a successful operation and I, I was getting to a point in my career where there's a point where you have to stand up and take accountability as an athlete if you've been around long enough you can't rely on other you've got to just step up and do it and so you know it's not a coach telling you what to do when you're 30 you should know what you're doing and I started to become more proactive, accountable. I started to have a team around me of specialists, but ultimately I was the one driving it and guiding it. And I started to really believe that this was this was my moment. And I accepted I was never going to be 100% fit, but I accepted that I guess most people weren't. You, 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 and, you, and, and I was on a roll. And I really, really stepped on and got a momentum going. You ran very fast that summer in the run-up to the Games. I, did, you I ran had a fantastic teams. You ran 44-37. Yeah, but you know, be, no, better than that was, was, was the week before, winning, winning the Olympic trials, which is still the greatest 400-metre national race ever. I mean, four of us, five of us went under 45 seconds. It was unbelievable. I mean, it was really weird because... I was one of the best athletes in the world, but if I didn't come in the top three, if I messed up the trials, I wasn't going to the Olympics. But do you remember who the other four were that was very fast? Yeah, you and Thomas, Jamie Bolch and Mark Richardson. Uh, Dwayne Ledeja, yeah. Dwayne Ledeja, yeah. five of us. Yeah. Um, and my, I won it, uh, Ledeja was second and you and Thomas was third. I won it in 44.39 to break the British record in Birmingham. Yeah. Uh, that, that was a great, that was a great day. That was a great day. Um, and yeah, then, that was uh, the old boy putting the others in their place. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah, that was great. Um, oh, that was that was athletics at its purest and best. What did they say to you after the race, the others? Um, oh, there was a huge amount of respect. There was a huge amount of respect between all. It was a very. We all knew we were part of something very special. A week later, went to Lausanne, broke the British record again. Best preparation you could have to go to the Olympic Games. I was on a roll. I felt. And we should we should mention that. So you go into those games. Mm. Um, Michael Johnson is clearly a phenomenon. Yeah. But he wasn't the world record holder because there was a, there was also Butch Reynolds, wasn't there? Another yeah, fantastic Butch, Butch, American. Butch was there. But, so the team, the American team, were Michael Johnson, uh, unbeaten, best in the world. Butch Reynolds, the world record holder, and uh, a couple of twins, the Alvin, Alvin, Calvin Harrison. It was one of Alvin them. And they'd run I love their parents. Yeah, and they'd won forty. They'd, they'd run under forty-four seconds as well. On time, I should have come fourth or fifth. Absolutely. But it wasn't about time. It's about what you do on the day and can you hack it. And I knew that the Harrisons, were, Alvin, I think it was, put him in the Olympic final. He ain't going to take. He's going to choke. Uh, Reynolds was fragile because he was mad. And and I knew Re Reynolds was fragile. Anything out of Re Reynolds. And, and, and he did. He, he pulled up in the semi-final. Johnson was a different league. You had to take him out of the equation. So, so and, uh, and so it was doable. Tell us about the final then. I mean, well, look, for, uh, oh, to the outside world, okay. there's the golden shoes and a man running. He actually didn't run a world, run a world but he ran the, the Olympic record, didn't yeah. he, to, to win it, Johnson. And he ran one of those days when you just think, Unbelievable. You're watching something where somebody's running away from the, the thing other. Thing with player. Johnson is 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 that you I couldn't you there are some people that come along Usain's one and Johnson the other mm. let's say who can do things that other people can't do. So on their day they can do things you can't do. I I've been around long enough to know that. I knew that if I went to race Michael and beat Michael I wasn't going to medal because he did something between 200 and 300 that no one else in the world could do because he had 19.2 seconds in his legs. So 
I had to take him out of the equation because as soon as I, and he was in the lane outside me, as soon as I run with him, I'm in trouble because I'm not in control of what I'm doing. Now, that is so much harder to do than it is to say. So in the Olympic final, I mean, you go Particularly towards... when you're competitive, yeah, there's 100,000 yeah. people and, you're, and, you're, and you run to win. But I was running simply to run my perfect race and I knew what that was. I'd rehearsed it in my mind. I'd delivered it on a few few occasions. And it was all about controlling myself between 200 and 300 and not going with Michael's. I couldn't do that. Because if I did that, I'd come out with 100 to go and I'd tie up. And I knew, I absolutely believed that with 100 metres to go, if you were not ahead of me, you ain't going to come past me, whoever you are. And Michael was ahead of me by yeah. quite a way. And no one else was. And... They didn't come past me. And I crossed the line. It is absolutely right that Michael Johnson won the Olympic gold medal. He was the best athlete in the world. It was right. What are you um, going to say next? Go on. And, and I remember crossing the line, feeling relief, to, uh, yeah, shaking Michael's hand and just squatting down and knowing, that's it, I'm done. That's it. And that feeling of contentment and completion is what we all aspire for as athletes. Now, an hour or so later, I stood up on the Olympic rostrum with Mike. I made him cry, by the way. That's a nice story. Um, how? How? Because he was just about to stand up on the rostrum. He was standing behind there, and I turned to him. This was a man who was such a robot. He showed no emotion. He was focusing on the 200 metres already, and I turned to him and said, Michael, enjoy this moment, because this is why we do it. He stood up on the rostrum and very famously started to cry. He still hugs me for it every year. He still thanks me for it because I, I broke him because I made him get it. Um, and he wasn't in the moment and he got in the moment. And, and we have this real bond because of that shared experience. Because I was coming towards the end of my career, I'd fulfilled my, my career. And he had more to do, a lot more to do, but he wasn't enjoying the moment. And I, I got it. And to share that moment on that rostrum, and there's a picture, the lovely picture that, 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 that I, I have of me and him on the rostrum with him crying and me standing there feeling content. That was it. And the moment I stepped off that rostrum, I was never the same again, ever, because it never mattered enough to me ever again. I was complete. And the moment you're complete as an athlete, you're on your way out. Absolutely. Now, let me ask you, so that I should make the point that uh, in 1997, following that, and thank you for that that story, and I, I, I just want to make the point that the medal presentation party also was uh, contained the great Cuban Alberto Wantarino, who's one of my heroes. Mm. and so Who didn't open his legs and show his class uh, on uh, that day. Uh, no, he did not. So thank you, David Coleman. But, uh, <laughs> Ron Pickering, Was it Ron? Yeah. Was it Ron? Yeah. An extraordinary runner yeah. in his time. Um 1997 in, in, in Athens, you were in the relay team and got a silver medal. Yeah. Antonio Pettigrew was among the Americans that beat you. He's mm. since been admitted to being a drugs cheat, and so yourself and Ewan, Jamie it wasn't Bulls, just him actually, Jerome Mark Young as well, yeah, I think, yeah. have been upgraded to, to a gold medal. So when you say you were finished, in fact, you were still. But I, yeah, but say, I, was, I was never yeah, the same. Yeah. Um, so what, what decided you in 1998? What was the, the, the trigger for your decision to retire? Because well, it has well, to be something. Well, it, very clear. Look, uh, in 96, I, I was complete and, and and athletics was never was going to be what I did but it was never going to I would never be as focused and dedicated to it as I had been up leading up to the Olympic Games I and I and, I, and, I, and it's the you know, I challenge anyone to, to do that because um, you know I, I was tired I was broken but I was complete but you hang on don't you because yeah. you're a long time retired um, I had a goal you gotta have a goal and mm -hmm. it was to win the European title in 98 and retire straight after it that was quite a romantic goal the problem with that goal was I'd had my cartilages done again, I picked up another virus, and you and Thomas and Mark Richardson came along and started to beat me. And 
I could beat them, but I was a lot older and it was just a young man's game and it was becoming really tough. Now, I still believe I wasn't selected for the for the Europeans um, uh, because I didn't get in the top three in the trials and OK, whatever, and I retired then. I still think if they had selected me, I think I would have, I would have meddled and because I'm a championship, I was a championship performer. I still was still running fast. Now, would I have beaten Ewan who went on to win it? Not sure. Okay, not well, sure. Listen, thank you for those. And yeah. uh, so there we have uh, you retired from what is a, a storied and medalled career. Um, this is the part whenever I talk to athletes, particularly runners, and I suppose I should be the same for throwers as well. But this is the part I don't like to do, but I, I almost I feel I have to. Um, and in view of what's been going on in cycling in in recent mm. times, it's worth it's worth getting into it again. Um, the, the the generation of of the, the I mean, we all know that the Soviet Union and East German athletes mm. have made a science of doping. Mm. Um, I don't know. You, I mean, you coincided with much mm. of that. Mm-hmm. How prevalent was uh, drugs in, in 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 athletics? Do you think when you were doing it? No idea. Why is that? Because I chose not to think about it or talk about it or worry about it or be around it. Um, it you see, when you ask someone like me that that question, you it's it's it's. <sighs> I can only go on what I know, mm-hmm. and I only there was only one athlete ever in the 400 meters who was a guy called Daryl Robinson, who was an American, who had, who had sat with me in Akabusi and admitted that he had taken drugs and said, "Man, they work, man. I could do things I couldn't do." Apart from him, as a, I had an association as Daly did, and Christy with a, a man called David Jenkins from the 70s, yeah. who was an athlete, and uh, and it was a yeah, tremendous runner. Yeah, a tremendous runner, but got involved with drugs out in America. He was a great mentor, but you know, he he he. You know, never we never taught drugs. He, he, my relationship, he had nothing to do with drugs at all. Um, so I knew it was around. I'm not naive, um, and and many people think a lot of the Americans were on drugs during our days. Who knows? Who knows? But this is the point. I knew what I could do clean, and because I could do what I did clean, and I would walk through fire for Chris Akabusi and and Daley Thompson and what they did clean. I believe clean, absolutely clean. Mm-hmm. I chose to believe that the vast majority of people were clean because if I felt everyone was on drugs then by definition logically I must have been on drugs because I won Olympic medals and I could beat most of these guys now I don't know you know people say oh Michael Johnson was you know, I, remember, I remember I remember the Olympics coming back to the Olympic village and so many people saying you're the Olympic champion he's a because he was doing things no one else had done before I don't know I believe he was clean I don't know so I honestly, Danny, don't know. Now, obviously, once somebody gets tested positive, a Dwayne Chambers or a Marion Jones or a Lance Armstrong or whatever, then we do know. Um, but I can honestly tell you, I... Actually, Lance Armstrong has never tested positive. Oh, no, positive. he hasn't, has he? No, he hasn't. You're absolutely right. He hasn't. Now, isn't See, that, isn't it, that's interesting. The, the, um, yeah, he hasn't. He hasn't. So the truth is I don't know. I didn't think about it because I thought if I did think about it, it would affect my performance. Drive you it mad, would take, It would drive you mad. And... I have no problem, or no, not no problem. I have very little problem from people who will go, Roger Blatt and Chris Akabusi, they were on drugs. Absolutely, of course they were. Because people think you can't win Olympic medals if you didn't take drugs. Now, I know it's not true, and I could be lying to you, Danny, because I'm not going to tell you if I was on drugs. Well, you can't prove a negative either. No, so the point is, I I didn't really think about it, and I got on with it. And... I'm not naive enough to say there aren't drugs around. There are. I still believe the vast majority of athletes are clean in the world. Um, and uh, what's interesting to me is that the, the recent Olympic Games, um, and, and before that, that Usain Bolt, athletics had got us. I mean, I know lots of people have given up watching athletics because they, they believe they're not. They can't believe the evidence no. of their own eyes. And yet Bolt, 
Um, one person, uh, I, I hope I'm not doing disservice to the other athletes. One person has dragged world athletics yes, back into the into the into and, the light, hasn't he? And absolutely, he has. Absolutely, he has. There's um, a lot of people making a living out of athletics now who ought to send a small proportion absolutely. in his direction. Absolutely, you think Bolt needs the money? <laughs> so, so therefore, you know, if you if you Saint Bolt was to be on drugs, then then you've got a problem. And, uh, well, you know, and and I God think I, that think, day ever comes, I yeah. think you have to believe. No, no, and I, no, I think you have to believe, and I do believe because. You know, I was pretty good. I'm not, I don't think I'm the best that's ever been born at 400 metres. I was pretty good. A damn lot of hard work and, and beha- mental attitude goes into it as well as talent. I was pretty good. Um, and I know what you can do clean. So I have to believe in, in human beings' ability. I have to believe in that. I can't look at someone's performance and go, well, they must be on drugs. Because if I ever do that in athletics, by definition, I have to look at myself. Okay. Well, listen, let me ask you about, about um, something else then. You then, having given the game up, uh, you, you're, you're clearly a very knowledgeable man. You're a very good talker, as I think the last hour and a half has proven. Um, my uh, better half tells me you're a tremendously good-looking man. And so, naturally, <laughs> you appear on television. And suddenly, you're yeah. in charge, virtually, of, of talking about athletics on the BBC. Yeah. Yeah. And that was all... And, uh, and how long did that last for? Um, it lasted for a while. I didn't go out to get it. It came to me. They, they approached me afterwards and said, uh, we'd like you to be a pundit, but we'd also like you to to soon, quickly, be presenting athletics. There mm-hmm. was a need, there was a role. So I was fast-tracked through that and get any training, just did it, uh, winged it, you know, fine. It was all going very well. I think I was there five, six, six years, and 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 suddenly... You had become the face and voice yeah. of it. And, then, and people still think I'd do it. And I, No, no, I remember. You dropped off the screen, like someone fell yeah. off a cliff. Yeah. What happened? Um, they, I, they turned around and said, we don't want you anymore. And I said, and my, I said why is that? They said, well, we, we, don't, we don't see you part of our plans. There you go, and it's the it was devastating. It's the first time in my life I never saw it coming, and I feel a fool because I I, you know, I didn't have big agent representation. I was just doing a job. I no one ever said I wasn't doing a good job, and then suddenly it's gone, and you go, oh, that's a funny world, and I felt a bit of a fool. There was obviously stuff going on behind the, behind the scenes that I, I wasn't aware of. You know, I was just getting on with it. Now, was, you know, it's okay now. It's fine now, and I could say, like I do in life, you know, without that, I wouldn't be where I am now. But my God, it hurt. And uh, my wife will say, uh, you, know, you know, it took me years to get over it, and maybe I never really will, because it was the first reject, real rejection that I never saw coming. And and also, it was the confusion every day, people going, why, what? What was that about? Because you were all right. If you were rubbish, that's okay. You weren't the best, but you were all right. And it's gone. And I think it's just welcome to the world of telly, which was we have other plans. Your face doesn't necessarily fit. And maybe I was getting in the way of other. Who knows why? Well, I I don't know why. And I didn't have a strong enough representation because I didn't play the game to to, for it to not happen. Well, let me let me help you now. I'm going to counsel you on air here. And that is to say that uh, um, as somebody who has been uh, uh, sacked off every radio station in particular in Britain. um, And who knows? I may not even get to the end of this program. (laughs) I'm serious. that's the what. That's the uh, absolute different between difference between athletics yep. and the media. In athletics, you have the stopwatch and the scoreboard it's, to tell you. It's not subjective. It's entirely objective. And someone else can't and, and make in, that choice. And what, we, what yeah. I do for a living is entirely um, object, uh, subjective. subjective yeah. Rather, people can just say, yeah. "I don't like the sound of her voice. I don't like the, the color of his trousers," yeah. and you are gone. Yeah. Good, bad, or indifferent. Now, um, that makes sure for slightly insecure and nutty broadcasters. Um, but it's not you. You, you, and what you, I you, learned, you shouldn't take it personally. No, that's for no, sure. And I did, and I did, and I struggled, and I really struggled with it. And then I, and then it forces you, and 
it was great because my good friends around me, like the Akabusis, Davy Thompsons, whatever, were saying, "Oh, don't worry about it. You know, it's okay." But they're stronger than you know. I, I was quite fragile. You know, I wasn't. Yeah. And um, but it forces you to reassess and to say, "Okay." Um, and it took me a while. I'm not going to say, oh, yeah, I got, got moved on. That was all right. It really hurt. It really hurt. And it's still, I couldn't watch athletics for a while. Um, it, it hurt. It hurt. And, can you watch it now? Uh, yeah, I can watch it now because I'm in a great place because I'm doing what I should be doing. And I, I'm running a, 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 I still do a lot. Obviously, my speaking, but I run a business now with Steve Backley, but we have clarity. I'm building a business. What's the two of him. you do? We're, well, Backley Black, her original name. Um, it, 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 we, we take the speaking world, but we take it into proper... It's not like spudgy, like I can't tell what you're doing just from the name yeah, Backley Black. Yeah, we, we translate Olympic, transfer Olympic performance into the workplace. So we talk about the behavioural traits of high-performance Olympians. We tell our stories. We have a team of business coaches that stand alongside us and translate that into business. We don't just tell our stories. We then translate it from a performance and look at the performance of a group of people, usually 20, 25 people, management, whatever, and we work with them for, for whole days, days, the group of us, getting them aligned, getting clarity, all the things we had to do as athletes, but we do it within the workplace. And it's the amalgamation of the motivational Olympic speaking world with the business uh, training world, and it works. But the great thing for me and Steve is it's like we're athletes again because it's not just our celebrity, it's real. We go out there, we can create business, we're judged on, on what we deliver, um, and we're doing it together. He's like my Akabusi now. Yeah. Um, Akabusi's a bit jealous, actually, about that. But let's not go into he's, that. I don't think he's quite as shouty as Akabusi, yeah, no. is he? But, you know, we were lucky because it just works. And we're very different people in some ways, but we're quite similar to others. And the great thing for us, and he, he floundered a bit in retirement, Steve. The great thing for us, it's given us clarity again, which you had as an athlete. Every day of your life, you knew where you, you knew what you were shooting for. The business world isn't quite like that. You're sort of drifting. And the telly world's not like that because, as I found out, someone can go, sorry, mate, you're, you're not what we want. So all your plans have gone out the window. With the business, um, it's not easy, but every day we have got something to go for. And you and have I'm not on some my own. element of control over your own and life. And I'm not on my own. Yeah, I'm part of a team and the team is growing. And we create employment for other Olympians now. Which is wonderful for me. So yeah. we've, you know, you know, from Akabusi, Daley Thompson, um, Darren Campbell, Sally Gunnell, Steve Regrow, all these people have done some work with Backy Black clients, and so so I'm still part of, I'm still around Olympians, which is great as well. Now, if I got the phone call a year before the Olympics and said we'd like to come back and be part of the BBC presentation team, would I have said no? Pro probably not, because I'm not going to pretend that it no, still no. doesn't hurt. But I would have been able to consider it. And I, you know, I, yeah, I mean, I, I it hurt. I'll no, I won't pretend it didn't hurt, but it's okay. It's okay. Okay, spoken like a man is not sure that it is entirely okay. Well, it's okay. So well, I wouldn't swap what I'm doing now. Okay. Absolutely. However, you have um, kind of, it's like getting back on a bicycle. You have done television since, and I remember you doing uh, one of the early series of Strictly Come Yeah, Dancing. Series 2. I was asked to do Series 1, and I thought, no chance. And series, they came for me for Series 2 just after I'd lost the job in, 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 okay. in athletics. I was very fragile, and it was my, 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 my wife, Jules, um, who, who said, you know what, I think, I think you should do this. And I said, oh, don't be silly. And it's one of the best decisions I ever made. Not because it got you to 10 million people, which is not a bad thing. No. But it was because it took me out of sport and put me into another space. And it was great fun. 
It was great, great fun. I really enjoyed it. It was a lovely series. I, I mean, can't remember if you're any good at dancing. No, I was all right. You know, who won that series? Uh, Jill Halfpenny from EastEnders. Okay. Yeah, it was a great series. We had Julian Clary and oh, Denise right. Lewis and and Esther Ransom. Carol Vorderman went off first and was very upset about that. And it was it was great. It was a, <laughs> she a, gets enough. Ali Jones. It was a lovely. It was a great experience, and it wasn't naturally something I would rush to do. But it, it was a good part of the sort of part of the healing, and um, and then subsequently, I haven't done many shows. For, you did for, celebrity for, MasterChef. Well, MasterChef's great. Well, no, no, the first one of those. But you see, I like, I I wanted to learn to cook, and uh, really enjoyed that. Got to the final of that, well, um, along with Hardeep Singh Hardeep, Kodi, and Matt, and Matt, Matt, Matt Dawson. Matt Dawson. Yeah. But but I do all cooking now at home and learn so much. No, so, so much you, you do more cooking but less dancing I suspect I don't do any yeah. dancing no um, I've done a bit of mastermind and, uh, and, and, and stuff like that and you do I haven't done something much for a while and there's not a lot I would do because I don't you know the celebrity you have a period of that celebrity world and that's fine would and, you do uh, I'm going to ask you about one though only because I know there's so much money if you do well at it would you do jungle oh no absolutely not but I mean the reason Why? for that is oh this is going to sound so dull and corporate and fair is because I run a business and make my living as a corporate speaker and running Backley Black with Steve I think you have to be certain certainly brand aware and right. I think everything I do has this. That being, does sound you know, a very corporate very, thing to say. But, yeah. but you know, you have to know who you are. And yeah. I think, you know, luckily for me, I can create income through the business. I don't have to do TV shows just to just to make money. Um, it would have to be something that that ticks two boxes. It's it's always good to have your face out there. I'm not pretending otherwise. But I think it has to be something that I see as a challenge. So the dancing, the 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 mastermind, the master chef are all skills and challenges. But it also has to be something that kind of fits you, and. I don't think the jungle's me, personally. I'd like the. I'll tell you what. I'd find it a fascinating thing to do. Yeah. That, I, I, personally, fascinating, but yeah, nah. I'm too thick-skinned anyway. I don't want to have people. Yeah. Thin-skinned. Yeah, thin-skinned. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. 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 You don't want people to have. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Well, you mentioned um, uh, your 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 missus uh, saying yes. Uh, go and do strictly. Mm. T- tell me about because we we talked about your first wife. Yeah. And you met in Barcelona. It's just another um, athlete and all that sort of stuff. So she's an athlete as well. Yeah. No, no. Jules oh, is no, not. Right. No, my no. wife is a theatre director. She runs a youth right. theatre in Guildford, and uh, we were old friends. Uh, friends through actually another athlete, John Ridgen. That she was at university with him, known each other for years, and uh, the person I should always have been with, but. Uh, uh, yeah, probably should have been with when I was an athlete. But when you're an athlete, you're so focused, you you know, you don't. Well, that's why I'm asking. Tell us about yeah. your family life now, then, because you have that gap when you are so m- monocular about what you're doing yeah. that it. Was, well, so. now, well, now, of course, you, it's a much more balanced life, and I'm still focused on things. But but you know, your, your family life, your, your personal life is 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 you know, much more, if not the most important thing. Whereas an athlete, it's not. So Jules and I have been married ten years. Uh, we have two lovely twin boys who are seven, Max and George. Twins in your uh, family, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, and yeah, that's it. Really, it's. It, I'm very, very lucky. Very, very lucky. And Isabella from your previous Isabel marriage. Isabella from yeah. my first marriage. She's nearly yeah. thirteen, and uh, yeah, we're, we're we're in a good place, and we're, we're very fortunate. Yeah. I, know, I know you're not a football fanatic, but I know yeah. uh, you talked at the top of the show about Southampton. Um, talking about peremptory sackings, as we have done in the last fifteen yeah. minutes. What happened at Southampton in the last few minutes? I mean, a few few weeks. I mean, again, what do you have to do? What do you have to do? <laughs> you know, if you am I right? Think statistically, he's the most successful yeah. Southampton manager in a hundred years. And, and, and it, it, I come from a world of sport where where you don't mind being judged as long as you're judged on your performance. So when a manager's doing really badly, you can understand. When a manager's actually it's done incredibly well, which Simon yeah. Atkins has done, and still go, you just think, you know. What 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 is that all about? I mean, but it's very common, isn't it? It's there are other reasons, there are other things going on. But I can't imagine what it's like being a player. 
um, when, when, you, you're, when you're trying to build a team and you've got sort of the whole things we talk about in our business about the team working together, building that group, which we did in 91 or whatever, and then suddenly the manager's just taken away and you've got to start all over again with somebody who probably can't speak English. Don't get that. Well, I, I, I guess uh, all you can, you can say about it is that um, I still love the actual game, the 22 blokes mm. kicking the ball around, everything that surrounds modern football. Mm. I, 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 honestly, I, I, it's detestable the way that some of this go, mm. goes on. Mm. We're running out of time. Um, you are, and I often do this, try and describe the physical state of the person. You're, you're 45, you're 45 now, are you? No, I'm 47. In 47. March. Well, you, you are a very fit-looking guy. You're obviously, uh, despite all the injuries, that you keep luck. yourself very, very fit. Yeah, Lord sure. And you've got some genetic uh, yeah. uh, luck there as well. So hopefully, a very long road still ahead of you, Roger. Um, what, do you, what, do you, what do you hope uh, you will, you and your people around you will achieve, and or what do you hope for yourself in the in the future? As, as an, I think, as an athlete, your part of you works. Your brain is shaped in sort of four-year cycles. You don't think much beyond that. So for me, it's it's absolutely now being the, the husband and, and I suppose now as the kids being the age they are, being the dad that I want to be through this period until they're too old and, and whatever. So I'm trying to do my best job at that. Um, but it, it, it absolutely, professionally, it's about building the, the Backkey Black business with Steve, with the team, you're keeping the speaking going I love doing what I do I'm very fortunate to I'll never be as good at anything as I was at running and I never expect to be and and I think anyone who thinks they will be even Seb who who unbelievable what he has done but even he King in, Seb King yeah. well, it's more than yeah, whatever King, but even he? in his core he is still an athlete because nothing will ever quite be I know I will never be quite good at anything. I can be successful in inverted commas, but, uh, so I don't need that. I don't have that need to, to, to be the, you know, the greatest thing. I love building a business. I love working with Steve. I love still being around Akabusi and Daley Thompson, all these people. Um, and it for me, it's building and growing the back back business for the next four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years, creating employment for other Olympians because there is a problem when they retire, what you do, Absolutely. which we, we can do. Um, but but for me, it's it's predominantly... I need that. I need to grow. It's in my nature. I need to move forward professionally. But it's also about being the, the, the best dad I can be and, and enjoying those moments. And, you know, who knows what's around the corner. But uh, if, I, if I, you I'm very fortunate. If you can't be the uh, as good at anything as, as you were as being yeah, a runner, can you not be as good a dad um, and partner as, as you were a runner? Um, I, I, I don't think so. Well, but anyway, I don't know how you judge that. You see... You know, well, I, I pull Olympic, no I pull Olympic silver medal out of my pocket, yeah. and that tells you what what's to say what a good dad is. Yeah, you know, I'm, and then one of your kids says yeah, you didn't take yeah, me swimming. Yeah. yeah, you know, I still lose it with my dad, my kids. I, I I don't know, you know how. Well, it's subjective, isn't it? And as we said earlier, sport was not subjective; it was objective, and it, it was a it was wonderful to live in that space. The real world is very subjective. Um, I. I don't think I can be as good a dad as I was as an athlete, but the point is I'll never know because I can't pull a medal out of my pocket. For daddy. And the, and the history books will not say he was a great dad. You've been listening to an archive edition of Talk Sports My Sporting Life with Danny Kelly. Thanks for listening, and make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Acast, and Spotify for more top Talk Sport content. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.